following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Better is one day in his courts, right, than a thousand elsewhere? Yeah, that's where we are today. Thankful to be here. Uh, you know, uh, because of that uh, song, Better is One Day in Your Courts, it just reminded me of how much I believe that there's a unique work of God that is done in the gathering of worshipers. He's called us to gather. And in this county, there's people from Sutherland, from Glide, from Winston, out in Looking Glass. We're gathering together and putting aside the things that are going on in our personal lives, our work, our jobs, to focus solely on God and on Jesus Christ. To focus and sing songs of worship that uh, express our gratitude and our thanksgiving for who He is and what He has done, and that He's meeting us here today in a unique way. Hopefully, as we take a look at the text that we have today, we're going to get a fresh view of the wonder and glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ and the gospel message that he's brought to each one of us. So kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at in our text this morning. And by the way, it'll be from 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to open there and put your finger in there, we'll be reading it in just a minute. But kind of an overview of where we're at. We're in that first chapter, and Paul is speaking to Timothy his true child in the faith, one that he has discipled and poured himself into and now is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And there's some things that he needs to convey to Timothy. There's been those that are entering the church that are preaching a false gospel message, a gospel message plus works, a gospel message minus something. They're modifying the gospel message to suit their needs. And Paul is warning Timothy that that's what's coming into the church and what's been happening, and he's telling them to guard what they have and to make a clear distinction between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and this false gospel, we're going to see Paul enter in and present his own experience, his own testimony of how the gospel impacted his life, has changed his life, gave him a new direction and a new hope. And in providing that picture of it, he contrasts it to what those preaching a false gospel can expect, which he tells us in the end of this is a shipwreck of their faith. So that brings me down to what I would call, which Dave would normally call, the big idea in this message. And it's simply this. Only the true, pure gospel of Christ Jesus has the power to both save and transform the lives of sinners. And it brings with it God's promise of eternal life. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read, my text is actually 12 through 20, but we are going to read verse 11 as well because it gives some context to the next portion of the scriptures. Let's stand together in respect for God's word. Starting in verse 11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted, I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, 
appointing me into his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, I just pray that in the time that we have together today, that the power of your Holy Spirit would visit each one of us in a way that this word would become real and profound. Lord, that we would see a clear, unvarnished picture of the wonder and glory of our God and Savior who gave his life to rescue us and see the critical importance of the treasure of the gospel message that you have entrusted to us. Lord, we thank you for being here and we thank you for calling each one of us together to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sorry, I think I'm losing my voice. Wow, we don't want that to happen right now. Paul starts right off in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me into service. Right out of the gate, he wants to offer a certain level of thanksgiving to his Savior for placing him in an area of service, of gospel ministry. He didn't consider himself worthy of this appointment to gospel ministry. And that's why he makes this point. He said, God, I thank him who has given me strength. He's telling us where his strength comes from. Uh, And in that word strength, he's implying that in the ministry that God has called him to do, in that gospel ministry that he has given Paul to do, he is the one that is going to supply all of the strength that he needs to accomplish. He's saying, I am with you in this endeavor. I've asked you and commissioned you and entrusted you with this gospel message, and I will be with you and strengthen you in that endeavor. And we see this clearly if we look at, at the Great Commission, the end, of, the end of the book of Matthew, where Jesus has gone to the cross, he's raised from the dead, he's given his final words to his disciples. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He is all-powerful. Go, therefore, and make disciples, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he closes it with these words, but behold, 
I am with you always unto the end of the age. So here he's saying, all power is in my hand. Go make disciples. And I'm going to be with you in that endeavor. I'm going to strengthen you in that endeavor. I'm going to gift you to accomplish that which I've commissioned you to do. God is the strength that Paul drew upon to take the gospel message to the world that he lived in. He didn't stop there, though. He said, who has strengthened me, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me into his service. Now, that, that word faithful, he judged me faithful. Let's consider for just a second what he had just said about himself previously. He said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent man. He was violent. So what in his resume would God be saying, he judged me faithful? Obviously, we're, we're, we're misconstruing something in this passage. He judged me faithful in that he has made me faithful. That he has strengthened me and he has made me faithful. And he makes that clear as he goes through the passage. But I love the way that Matthew Henry puts it. Now, Matthew Henry wrote a set of commentaries that my wife Tammy bought me. I think it was the first gift she bought me when we got married was a set of commentaries by Matthew Henry. Old school English kind of guy. But he had a way of putting things clearly. And this is the way he puts it. Matthew Henry, quote, None are counted faithful but those whom he has made so. Let me read that again. None are counted faithful, but those whom he, that is Jesus, has made so, has made faithful. So what Paul is saying in his thanksgiving to God, thank you for giving me this calling. Thank you for allowing me to be appointed to your gospel service, your gospel mystery, and strengthening me to do that task and granting me the faith that I need to do that. He's totally relying on the power of God working in his life to accomplish that, what he was doing. And he's trying to pass this off to Timothy. Remember, he's just not rehearsing this to himself. He's talking to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, a lot of us here have sons. And I remember when my son was getting married. I wanted to take those last few moments with him to help instruct him about what he was going to face as he stepped into marriage. Tammy and I do marriage counseling. We want to help these young people that are about to step into marriage and we want to give them those final instructions that they'll need that will become important to them as they engage in a marital relationship. That's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. And he's telling him that your strength is going to come from Jesus Christ. I'd like us to read 1 Peter 4.10 because I think that it gives us can you guys put that up on the board, please? Thank you, Christina. You guys are great back there. They, before the service, they came up to me and said, hey, you got this little switch, I can switch this thing on and off. They said, look, turn that thing on and we'll control it from back there so you don't have to think about it. Because they probably knew I'd probably forget to click it on. And So thanks, guys, appreciate that. First um, Peter 4, 10 through 11. It gives us a, a description of that calling and gifting. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want to stop right there. His varied grace. That means that he is gifting each one of his children, but that's not all the same. His varied grace. He's picturing for us that God has an infinite number of giftings or types of giftings, way that we're equipped, 
uh, and that we can put into service. So that's every one of us. He's called us into gospel ministry. And that gospel ministry may look different. It may be gospel ministry on the living room floor of your house as you're sharing the gospel with your kids. That gospel ministry might be over in our Sunday school department presenting the wonder and glory of God to these young kids who happen to be all with us today. Isn't that cool? I love to look around and see all these little faces here. It may be from a pulpit. It may be in the dining room or the kitchen of your home. It may be on your job site. It may be in the school. It may be while you're out fishing with someone. God's gifting is varied. His grace is varied. He provides it differently to fulfill what he has called us to do. He goes on, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. So Paul is telling Timothy that that's where your strength comes from. That's where your faith comes from to do the ministry that he has called you to. And in this case, he's pastoring the church at Ephesus, a church that is beginning to experience divisive men and false teachers coming in to dilute the pure gospel message and that's uh, causing division in the church. So he wants Timothy to know and understand that God is the one that strengthens him. And when he does that and we engage in that gospel ministry, we can say with Paul, as he did at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, these are his words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul engaged in the gospel ministry that God called him to. And folks, there is no calling in this life that is greater than that, than caring and being entrusted with the treasure of the gospel ministry to the world that we live in. And Paul understood that. And so he says that he fought the good fight. He finished his course. He labored in what God has called him to in God's strength, in God's faith. And then he said, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Now, I find this really interesting that we're told in God's word that God has predestined us before we were ever born. He has called us and pursued us. He then, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he has justified us. Then he says he will glorify us. And then, as Paul is presenting here, and ultimately, he's going to reward me for it. It's all the work of God and by his strength that we're doing what we do. So that when you go out, you go out in the strength that he provides, in the faithfulness that he has provided, in the courage that you know that he is behind you and in you in this endeavor of the gospel ministry. And that one day, the righteous judge, that is Jesus himself, God, my creator, will hand me a crown of righteousness. Now, I'm not sure if that's a literal crown or what other award that that is that he's going to hand out, but whatever it is, I want it. And that doesn't mean I'm greedy. It means that if Paul says that this thing is like receiving a crown of glory from the hand of my Savior, 
who went to the cross for me, then I want it. So I want to, I want to understand what Paul is trying to say. All of those who love his appearing, that is, we're laboring for the gospel, we're looking forward to the return of Christ, and you know what? We meet with him every day. The door to God's throne room is always open with an invitation to us, come, you're invited in. Come to me when you're in trouble, when you have need of help, and I will give you grace in time of need. He then goes on as he's presenting, first of all, that call that's on Timothy's life with the Ephesian church. But then he does something interesting. Now he's going to launch into his personal testimony because he wants to show Timothy this is what a true conversion looks like. This is what someone, when they preaches the true gospel message of Jesus Christ, the gospel message that has the power to save, the power to transform, and the power to present us with the hope of eternal life with God the Father. He wants Timothy to see what it actually looks like. So he begins with his own testimony. Though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I, I labeled this section of it the gospel transformation of a terrorist. Now, we all know what a terrorist is. I mean, right now, there is a terrorist in uh, the Ukraine. A terrorist is someone that is willing to take something that belongs to somebody else and kill them to get it. He's willing to force people to do what he wants or to stop doing what they're doing, and he's using force to do it. So as we're looking at Paul, we want to take a look at his resume, his rap sheet, so to speak, to get an idea of Paul. We kind of know Paul as Paul the pastor, Paul the apostle, Paul speaking into the lives of other believers. But we're going to just take a look as a quick scan through Acts of what his resume looks like. Acts 8.3, but Paul was ravaging the church and he was entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, I take a look at that and I think Nazi Germany. He's going house to house, dragging off men and women. He doesn't care. Leaving children without their parents in the home pulling a wife away from her husband or a husband away from his wife and dragging them off and putting them into prison. It goes on. Acts 9.13. Ananias, when he's asked by God, go pray for this Saul. But Ananias responded, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done for your saints. He had heard the rumor was all over. This man is evil and he's willing to do whatever to the people of God. Acts 9.1, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, both men and women. Now we see a whole, not only is he dragging them off to prison, but he is responsible for the murder of God's people. He's killing them. You can see how we can rightly put the title terrorist. We're not done yet. Acts 22.4, Paul's own words, I persecuted the way, that's Christians, to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women. His own admission. Acts 26, 9 to 11. I myself, Paul, in his own admission again, confessing, opposing the name of Jesus, I locked up many of the saints in prison 
And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. There wasn't anything that Paul wasn't willing to do to stomp out the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel message. He truly was a terrorist. Just to even emphasize this more, his assault on the church was so savage that when Paul got converted, the word of God tells us that the church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. That's how vile and evil he was. That's the kind of man he was. The kind of man that if you and I were looking on at that man, we would say he's an evil terrorist. We need to send the seals in to get that man and kill him. Wouldn't we? We would want our government, we would demand that our government would put an end to what that guy's doing. That's Paul. And he's presenting that to Timothy because he wants Timothy to see something. He wants him to see that the gospel, the pure gospel, delivered once to the saints, was the only thing that had the power to save him, the power to transform him, and the power to bring hope in his future, eternal life. But God. We just looked at what was going on in his life. But God. You know, uh, in the high school youth group, I was talking to a, a group of guys, and one of them is Joe Bueckley. How many of you guys know Joe Bueckley? Probably know Seth, Seth and Helen. I was talking to Joe. You were there, weren't you, Levi? And he said this. He made this profound statement that is so good I have to share it. He said, you know, I believe that but God is every preacher's favorite phrase. You know, amen to that, right? Every preacher's favorite phrase is but God because we see the ugliness of the story of Paul. He was devastating the church. But God, in Paul's own words, I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and we'll complete Paul's own words. It's as though he was describing himself in Ephesians. A letter to this church, exactly. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to how Paul puts that. First of all, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked following the course of this word world, following the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now is at work in the sons of obedience. It's as if he's describing himself. Then down in verse 4, but God, thank God that that's in there, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's as if Paul was telling us what God did through the power of the gospel in his life. This vile, evil terrorist was confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was confronted by Christ himself. And that vile, evil man was raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. He who was a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of Jesus Christ, was now a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. 
That's the power of the gospel to save. And that's what he is presenting to Timothy. This is what the true gospel has the power to accomplish. A false gospel has no power to save. It has no power to bring forgiveness. It has no power to transform a life. And it brings no hope of eternal life with our Heavenly Father. Paul then goes on and he describes what happened to him in this way. But I, there's that word again, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. That unbelief, he had not come to saving faith. The Holy Spirit had not turned on the lights for him so that the eyes of his heart were opened to see the gospel message, the work of Christ. We remember on the cross Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The light of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit had not turned the lights on yet. Yet we do believe that several of those men that were standing there at that cross were saved. The man on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The uh, uh, Roman soldier, truly this man was the Son of God. Then he goes on. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Something he had not experienced before. He believed in salvation by works, which there is no one that can arrive at that. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. There is a well-known verse in John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. You're all familiar with it. But John 17. I want to draw your attention to John 17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He wasn't coming to condemn. Jesus not, did not enter this world to condemn. The world had already been condemned. In the day that you eat of the tree of the fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Sin entered into the world and passed down through all generations. We were already condemned. We didn't need somebody else to condemn us. That was already the truth. All of us before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we lived under a cloud of condemnation and impending punishment. But God, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the cross, but Jesus' resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit changed everything. Change the different game. So Paul says, the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ spilled out on me. Then we move from this terrorist that now has been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And my third point is the gospel joy for sinners. Paul revealed who he was. He revealed the saving power of the gospel. And then he presents to us what I would consider one of the most incredible quotes in all of the Word of God. We'll jump into that in just a second. But I would like to share with you before we do, so we can get a kind of a context of where we're going, is some quotable quotes that were presented to us by famous men. Quotes that really don't have the power to change much. Some of them have some truth in them. Some of them are just nonsense. Some of them simply are not true. One, That which does not kill us makes us stronger. 
Frederick Nietzsche. That which does not kill us makes us strong. Well, you know, there's, there's some value to that. You know, you suffer through a difficult time and, and you learn from that. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. Mahatma Gandhi. First of all, I don't really understand what he's saying, but uh, I suppose there's some value that he's trying to convey this idea that if we change personally, overall, we'll, we'll change the world. Not a whole lot of value. Another quote. This one is by my nephew, Stephen Rubel. And I have to tell you the backstory here because it's kind of kind of fun. I've been to a lot of high school graduations in my life because I have a lot of nieces and nephews and my own kids. We've been to a lot of graduations. Somewhere in every graduation ceremony, somebody's going to get up and read a poem that encourages these graduates, you know, to move out into the world, experience life, get involved. And we were sitting there, one of them, and my nephew scribbling this thing down on a piece of paper, and he passed it to me while this ceremony is going on. It reads like this. Change happens. Things change, change things. Yeah, that's kind of kind of lame, isn't it? It was supposed to be funny in the middle of a graduation ceremony. We all laughed, but then my son made it into T-shirts. He put it on the back of T-shirts and gave it to all the brothers and cousins and what have you. And Stephen was standing in a line at Starbucks. And a guy behind him says, where'd you get that T-shirt? And Stephen said, well, well I made it. Who's this Stephen Rubel guy? It says his quote with his name under it. He said, well, that's, that's me. And yeah, and, uh, and so he says, where can I get that T-shirt? I'm kind, of in, I'm kind of in a dark place, and that really encouraged me. Okay, that's, that's somebody's making a joke, and, and uh, uh, it's impacting somebody that uh, is, is in a dark place. That was my nephew. Here's another one. Joe Biden, our $3 trillion spending bill won't cost you anything. Okay, there's not a whole lot of value to that one. It's a statement somebody made. So there you have that. Here's one I, get, I put in here for Dave. This is an athletic one. Dave has to have his one that has to do with sports. Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you didn't take. Okay, there we have some of the depth of wisdom that the world has to offer, but you'll notice there's no real value in any of it. None of it was going to change a life. None of it was going to change your direction or give you an eternal hope, was there? There were just sayings. But Paul says, Timothy, listen up. I have a trustworthy saying. That means you can believe in this. This is, this is true. That's deserving of all acceptance. It is so true. It is so profound. It will affect you now, tomorrow, and throughout eternity. And this is what it was. <clears throat> if I can just find it. Where are you? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Very simple. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. My champion, sent from the throne room of God, the Son of God, came on the scene to go to the cross in my stead, pay my debt so that I can be set free, I can be adopted as a son of God, I can be given Christ's glory, I can be clothed in his righteousness, I can live in security no no matter what happens in this life, my God is with me to the end and will receive me into his glory when my stint on earth is done. It has power, it has impact, it can change a life, it can save, it can transform, it can give hope for the future. Paul says this is a trustworthy thing. You can take this to the bank. You can hang your hat on it. This is the true gospel message. And then he puts this little qualifier at the end. 
Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Now, we have just looked at Paul's track record, and we can agree, I think, that he was an evil man and a terrorist before. He's calling himself now the foremost of sinners. But if I take my measuring rod, my human one, not God's, my measuring rod, and put it up to Paul, I could say, oh, I know guys that are worse than him. I can look into history at Adolf Hitler killing millions of Jews, starting a world war, and hundreds of thousands of young men and women lost their lives in a conflict that didn't need to happen. My measuring rod says he's he's worse than, than Paul. We can look at others down through history that have been very evil men. So why did Paul call himself the foremost? I would propose to you that we should all see ourselves in light. And this is why. Kind of stick with me here and see what you think. That Paul presented himself as foremost because in his life, it didn't matter how bad his sin was, it was still going to take him to hell. No matter how, how insignificant I might put value on my sin, it's still going to take me to hell. Jesus said, if you've sinned by one, you've sinned them all. He brought it into closer perspective when he said, you've heard it said that you should not commit murder. But I say to you, if you hate somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. He said, you've read that it is a sin to commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've looked after a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. God's measuring rod is different than mine. So that as Paul says, I am the worst among sinners and I can internally believe that about myself, it now gives me a humble attitude to the world out there that does not know Jesus as their Savior as of yet. I don't need to be judging every wrong that people do because they haven't come to saving faith yet. It puts me in a humble place before my God and my Savior. I view myself as the worst among sinners. I know my sin. I know some of it anyway, internally. So Paul is is giving Timothy this continued picture of the gospel message and the power it has and how it's, it's growing as he presents this to them. He goes on, But I received mercy for this reason that Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He then says, now my testimony is an example. One of, the, one of the roles we fill as an elder is that we get to hear a lot of testimonies. Everybody that comes a member, we have a new members interview, we sit down with them and they share in five minutes or less, they're coming to Christ and how God has worked in their life since then. One of the greatest privileges of being an elder is I never grow weary, we never grow weary of hearing the varied testimonies of people coming to Christ. I've heard testimonies from people that were in the darkest place of depression in their life. And the light of the gospel lit that light up and changed that person. They were saved and transformed. I've heard about someone that was on the floor of their grandmother's house at the feet of their grandmother who shares the gospel with them and they get saved. I've heard of those in prison cells that heard the gospel message and they were saved and their life was transformed. Those within a family circle where the gospel is being shared and they're saved. Paul 
life is an example of how God can save a sinner, how he can transform a life. And he's saying, Timothy, this is a picture of what the gospel in action looks like. This is what it accomplishes. So hold that in contrast to a false gospel that enslaves people, that doesn't have the power to save or transform. When we look at this simple phrase that's trustworthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, I put it in very personal form. It is the reason and the power for husbands to love their wives. It is the reason and the power for wives to submit to and respect their husbands. It is the reason and the power that grandparents live a life as an example to their grandchildren. It is the reason and the power that singles dedicate their lives in service of Christ. It is the reason that we gather together on Sunday mornings. It's the reason that we are here. It's the reason we lift our voices in songs of praise and thanksgiving. It's the reason we proclaim Christ and Him crucified. It is the reason and the power that I'm standing up front here today. Were it not for Christ and the gospel, I would not be doing this. I think by this time, Timothy is beginning to grasp this treasure that Paul is handing to him. This treasure of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This treasure that was entrusted to Paul, we read in verse 11, that was entrusted to him, he's now entrusting to Timothy. He's giving his son those final words before he takes charge of that church. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He's basically saying, my son, here's the treasure. This is how valuable this treasure is. It has the power to redirect sinners' lives. It has the power to save, transform, and bring hope. You need to protect and guard this treasure. You need to wage the good warfare against deception and the lies of the enemy. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. His final charges there are what we call church discipline. Not only was he to guard the people within the church, guard the gospel message, he had the difficult role of when those that were present were teaching a gospel message other than what was once delivered to the saints and they wouldn't repent of that, they need to be removed. And Paul said, I've removed both Alexander and Hymenius and turned them over to Satan. For what reason? That they would learn not to blaspheme. The goal of casting them out of the church was that they would see their sin, they would repent of their sin and could be restored to their church family. And I think Paul, in his final 
uh, instructions to Timothy is even more clearly stated in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it to you. Again, he's speaking to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. There he's passing the baton off to Timothy as he is leading that church. He's not only called to present the clear gospel message, but he's called to be on guard for a false gospel message. And then he is to deal with it in a manner that is true to God's word and is a protection for the church body. That's what we believe is part of our role as elders in this church is to protect the pure word of the gospel and protect the people within our church against false doctrine that could be presented. The take home. We are entrusted with the greatest treasure known to man. It's not a pot of gold. It's not a secure bank account. It's not a nice house or a good marriage. That's not it. We are entrusted with the greatest treasure that God has to offer, and it is the gospel message. It alone has the power to save, transform, and bring hope. It has the power to change lives. He's saying, Timothy, my son, guard it, protect it. We, God's people, those of us who have received Christ as our Savior, we are now entrusted with that same pure gospel message, that message that has the power to change lives. It's been entrusted to us. And no one is beyond the power of the gospel to save, no matter the depth of his sin or the righteousness they think they have. Not Saul, the terrorist, and not Mother Teresa, the saint. None of them are beyond its power to save and transform. We're now going to close, and the worship team, you guys come on forward, with the song Amazing Grace. This is one of my favorite hymns. I never grow tired of singing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The guy who wrote this hymn is a guy named John Newton. Early in his life, he was a slave trader. Now, oftentimes we don't take a close look at how ugly and horrific this trade was. They took men and women made in the image of God, load them in the hull of ships like cordwood, take them across an ocean when they got sick or when they died, they went overboard, overside. And then they would get to where they were owned by somebody else. A horrific sin against God and against his created beings that are designed in his image. But God showed up and John Newton got saved. He got radically transformed and he wrote this hymn we're about to sing, one of my favorites. But he also has this quote that I'd love to read you. John Newton, quote, I am not the man I ought to be. I am not the man I wish to be. And I am not the man I would hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. That was the message of Paul to Timothy. 
It's a message for us today. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.